Hi, my name is Rhett Barden, and I'm the lead pastor of One Life Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. At One Life Church, we exist to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. For more information on how you can be a part, please visit us online at olc.church. Enjoy the message. Again, everyone, welcome to One Life Church. It is great to have you here. My name is Red. If you just walked in, I have the honor of being the lead pastor here. And I just want to take a moment and do something we do every Sunday. And I want to welcome our online church podcast family. One Life Church, put your hands together. Let them know how much you love them. Come on. Yeah. Hey, listen, if you're listening to us online, in the car, at home, on your couch, we love you. God bless you so much. We hope you're enjoying your day. But honestly, we just want you to know how much we love you. We miss you. You are our family, and we cannot wait to see you in a service real soon. Well, all right, One Life Church, are you having fun this morning, everyone? Okay, I got about 10% of people who are about to have fun. I mean, we can close the doors right now and go home if you want to. Let me ask that question again. How many, are you guys having fun this morning? <laughs> If you haven't, if you're not, I hope you will. You have you picked a great Sunday to come. Actually, because I'm just going to be really honest with you, uh, today's message is going to be a little bit difficult. Um, and in the fact, not for you, more probably for me as your pastor, uh, because I'm trying to present God's word in such a way today that will help bring some life change. But I just want to be honest with you and just tell you up front that this message specifically is for Christians today. So as a church... Of course, you're like, well, Red, of course, church is supposed to be about Christians. But honestly, if I can just tell you the truth, my heart is that everything that we do is to present the gospel in such a way that it's attractive and it's relevant for every single person, no matter where you are on your journey. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we love you. We're glad that you're here. But I just want to let you know you're off the hook with everything that's being said today, okay? Uh, but if you are a Christian, if you're a man, a woman of God who follows and believes in Jesus Christ, this message is specifically for you today. And it's a series we're calling The Daniel Dilemma. And actually, this series is based on a book that was written by my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges, out of Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. He wrote a book about this. He actually did a series in his church, and he totally gave me permission to do this. So I'm stealing his content because his content comes straight out of the Word of God. And I believe it's very applicable to where we are as a society in our nation, in America, in our world today. And you see the tagline says, How to Stand Firm and Love Well in a Culture of Compromise. And that's my hope today. It's to teach you how to stand firm, how to love well in a culture of compromise. But before we jump into this message, I just want to remind you that we are a message note-taking church. What does that mean? It means we like to take notes, everybody, and our notes are online for you at olc.church. Put that on the screen for me, my man, olc.church. There it is. You can see that. So everybody play along with me. Even if you don't have a phone, pretend that you've got one, throw out your laptop, go to olc.church, swipe down, and you'll see a button that says message notes. Those message notes are there to help you because my job is not only to inspire you on a Sunday, but my job is to give you some practical tools to help you live out your Christian walk in your faith with Jesus Christ on Monday through Saturday. Can I get a better amen? amen? We do this for you to help you, to serve you. And you're thinking, well, I don't really need it right now. My friend, uh, it's going to rain in your life one day. It's not a matter of if it's going to rain. It's a matter of when it's going to rain. And so you might need an umbrella in your car. This is kind of like what notes are. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's just good to have in your back pocket. What's really cool about our notes is that you can save it as a PDF document. You can email it to yourself or you can email it to family or friends. Well, I'm going to make a statement. It's probably not going to shock you. But my friends, we are living in a culture that is shifting in America, in our world, if you've turned on the TV, Facebook, Instagram, news, radio for a matter of 30 seconds, it will not take you long enough to realize that we are living in a changing society and a changing culture that has shifted 180. And so my hope today is to teach you how to live in this culture, how to stand firm, how to love well, in a culture of compromise. And to answer the question today and throughout this series is, is it even possible to be a light in the middle of this darkness? Is it possible to live in the world but yet not be defined by it? I feel like one of the greatest tensions, you guys, that we're gonna face as Christians in this nation and in this culture today, the greatest tension we face is how do we live a godly life? in an ungodly culture. 
And if there's anyone throughout the Bible that we can learn from, there's a man by the name of Daniel. There's an actually entire book that's accredited to his writing. It's called the book of Daniel. And this is where this series honestly comes from. Because if there was any man throughout the history that we look at that lived in a culture of compromise, but yet could stand firm in his faith and his dedication and devotion to God, it was this man by the name of Daniel. Because he grew up in a generation, my friends, of people who once trusted God, but yet got to a place of comfort and they got desensitized to the point where they rejected God and all his truth. And because the nation and the generation he grew up in rejected God, they paid a price for it. And I just want to make this statement this morning. Every generation who rejects God and his truth will pay a price. Will pay a price. Make no mistake about it, my friends. The United States of America was founded on biblical principles. It was founded on the word of God, not by perfect men, but unperfect men who believed that God's word was true. And because it was based on the foundation of God's word, we have experienced the blessing that we have today in our nation. Still to this day, the freedoms. Aren't you grateful for the freedoms we still have in America today, everybody? Can, you, can I hear an amen? But listen, my friends, America is standing at the threshold of paying a price for rejecting God. If we don't continue to keep our face turned toward him, there is a price that we'll end up paying. And in fact, we learn this from the history of the book of Daniel. And let me just give you a little time out here on the book of Daniel, okay? The book of Daniel is a book of history, but yet a book of prophecy. The first six chapters of the book of Daniel are all about the history of Daniel's life and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you ever grew up in church or Sunday school, you've probably heard those names. If not, they're just men of God. And it's also the last six chapters of Daniel having dreams and visions of the end times of what it would look like when the return of Christ happens. And because it is a book of history and because it is a book of prophecy, scholars placed it in the position among other groupings of what they call the major prophets. If you did not know, the Old Testament is not written in chronological order. The Old Testament, you're probably like, really? I didn't know that. No, it's grouped. Like there's the law books that were written by Moses. There's the history books. There's the, uh, what, what we call the Song of Solomon's, uh, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes. Those are like the poetic books. And we got like 17 prophets. There's major prophets and minor prophets. Not that one's major, like they're more special. No, it just means the books are actually longer. And the minor ones are shorter books. And I tell you that because if you look at the story of Daniel, the scholars placed it not in the history portion of the Old Testament. They placed it in the prophetic portion of the Old Testament because they look at it and they decided by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that it's actually a book of history that prophesies. In other words, it's prophetic history. In other words, we can look at the history and see what happened then, but yet it prophesies to where we are today and how we should live our lives today in the same culture that even Daniel faced. Are y'all with me? So this is what book of Daniel all is about. This is what this series is all about. And so here we are, we pick up in Daniel chapter one, verse one through six, and we see that the Israelites rejected God. And because they rejected God, God allowed them to be taken as captives. Captives is a biblical fancy word for slaves. They were taken by captives by their enemies. Their enemies were the Babylonians out of Babylon. If you're wondering where Babylon was, it's basically modern day Iraq. And these were the enemies of God. And because they rejected God, God allowed them in their sin and in their rejection to be taken over by a foreign country, an ungodly nation for 70 years. And this is where we pick up the book of Daniel. And this is where we pick up our series today. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, basically the leader of Israel at that point, of the Israelites, it says Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians, that's their enemy. They came to the city of Jerusalem where God's people lived and they besieged it. But not only did they besiege it, they took every single person in that city captive and made them slaves and they brought them into Babylon. It goes on to say, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand, being Nebuchadnezzar, 
along with some of the articles from the temple of God. So they not only did they steal the people, they stole everything that was in the city, money, treasury. They even stole the things of God. It says these, Nebuchadnezzar, he carried off to the temple of his God, little G, in Babylon. And he put in the treasure house of his God everything that they stole. Goes on to say, then the king ordered Ashpenaz. Ashpenaz. Aren't you glad you didn't grow up back then? Your mama, daddy gave you a name like Ashpenaz. Come on, man. But this is important to remember because we're going to mention this guy a lot today. He was the chief of Nebuchadnezzar's court officials. And he ordered him to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites. These were God's people. Ordered them to bring them Israelites in from the royal family and the nobility. So what's happening? In other words, the Babylonians, this ungodly culture at this point, they're saying, hey, now we got all these Jews as slaves. Now we're going to cherry pick the ones from nobility in their society because we think that they might just provide us a little bit more service than just blue collar work. In fact, we're going to take them and we want to use their knowledge. We want to use their wisdom in our courts, in our land. And this is what's happening. It goes on to say these are the people that they chose. Young men without any physical defect and handsome. Kind of like the man who's speaking to you today. Amen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding, you guys, okay? Show an aptitude for every kind of learning. Well-informed, quick to understand. Goes on to say, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. But first, notice this. He was to teach them and indoctrinate them into a new language and literature of their enemy or the ungodly culture of the Babylonians. So what is happening here? Let's time out for a second. What you're seeing here is the indoctrination of an ungodly culture into a generation of lives who have been founded on God. My friends, we're seeing this in America today. We're seeing the indoctrination of an ungodly culture beginning to wreak havoc in society and it's desensitizing us to the point that there are some concerns. How do we live in this kind of culture? Because I need you to understand one thing. This is not a game. The devil's agenda for your life, my life, my family, your family, our future, our nation, our country, and the world is to steal, kill, and destroy. It's to destroy your marriage. It's to destroy your family. It's to destroy your finances. It's to destroy your future. It's to destroy your generation and the next. His job is to try to indoctrinate us away from the foundations of God's truth and his word in our lives. Why? Because he knows that if he can destroy the foundation, he can destroy you. He can destroy me. He can destroy America. This is the truth of God's word. The king not only tried to indoctrinate them into this new culture of teaching and biblical, or not biblical, but the literature of the Babylonians, but check this out. The king assigned them a daily portion or amount of food and wine from the king's table. In which some of you are like, oh, praise the Lord, something good's coming out of this, man. I mean, at least they're getting to eat well, man. They got potato, they got steak, they got rolls with butter on it, you know what I'm saying? Like, and they got some wine. That's a good living, man. Come on, if I gotta go through it, at least I'm living well, right? That's, that's not how they would have seen it in their day. In fact, this would have broken every Jewish dietary restriction that they had. In other words, it would break the foundation of the principles that God put in place for their lives. And so they were to be trained. Look at this. Three years, indoctrinated. And after that, they were to enter the king's service of Babylon. goes on to say, among those were chosen were some from Judah, four men, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And again, I just want to point out today, my hope is to teach you, my friends, my family, how do we live godly in an ungodly culture? How do we stand firm? How do we live well in a culture of compromise? Because here's the point. If we don't understand God's word, and if we don't understand how to live this way and to live well, we will slowly be desensitized by culture and you and I will get to the place where we don't even recognize who we are anymore. In other words, our identity would begin to change. And let me show this to you. Daniel 1, 7. says, the chief official, that's Ashpenaz, gave them, notice the two words that are highlighted. The culture gave them new names. Names always show a sign of ownership. So they gave new names to Daniel. They said, 
nope, your name's not Daniel. We're changing your name. In fact, your name's going to be called Belteshazzar. He says to Hananiah, you're going to be called Shadrach. To Michelle, you're going to be called Meshach. And Azariah, you're going to be called Abednego. My friends, what I'm trying to show you today is culture has an agenda for you. And the first thing that it's trying to do is change your identity. Put this down in your notes. This is the, very, this is the agenda of our culture. This is the agenda of an ungodly culture trying to indoctrinate us to get you to change your identity. It's to rebrand you. It's to label you. So here's my question. Do you believe what God's word says about you? Or do you believe what the world says about you? Are you living your life according to the labels from God's word? Or are you living your life according to the labels of the world? Because here's the truth. Every single one of us are living according to a name. Check this out. Daniel's name, it meant God is my judge. In other words, it meant God's my everything. God is my protector. God is my provider. God is my judge. He looked after my life. That's what God's word spoke about him. But in this indoctrination, in this culture of ungodliness, look at the name they changed. This is Belteshazzar. Check this out. They renamed him. They said, Lady, protect the king. In other words, the generation identified him as a girl. And I want to make this statement. In every pagan culture, in every ungodly culture, there's gender confusion. You can research it yourself. You can look it up. Every generation that's been pagan or ungodly or turned from the Lord, there has been gender confusion. And my friends, the devil is not just trying to destroy your sexuality. He's trying to steal your identity and he's trying to destroy your relationship with God. To Hananiah, look at this. Your name was Yahweh. It's been so gracious to me. God has been so good. I'm like, no, I don't think so. No, in fact, culture relabeled him and said, no, your name is Shadrach. In fact, you're fearful of God. God's not for you. God's against you. In fact, you need to be afraid of who he even is. He's not for you. That's what culture does. Changes your identity. To Michelle. Michelle, his name by God was who is what God is. In other words, I am confident that my God is awesome. But look at what culture did. Culture renamed him said, you know, your name's going to be Meshach, which means I'm despised, contemptible, and humiliated. In other words, it went from this confidence to this cowardness of, man, I'm little. I'm not important. Nobody cares about me. I mean, who, who do I think I even am anyway? I mean, to Azariah, look at the last one. His name at Yahweh has helped me. It means when God's in my life and he's alongside me, I become successful at everything I do. But they said, no, your name is not that. We're changing it. In fact, your name is Abednego. You're going to be a servant of Nebo. In other words, you're no longer going to be successful. You're going to be a slave, not to your God, but to our God. My friends, the devil is, an, is on an all-out assault against your identity. The devil is here to rebrand your life. He's here to rebrand your marriage. He's here to rebrand your family and your future. So here's the question. Pastor Rhett, what do we do? Right? Well, that is, my friends, when culture shifts, when culture shifts, we must know who we are. I'm telling you, if you're taking notes, you need to write that down. This is important. This will change your life, my friends. When culture shifts, what do we do? We must know who we are. My friends, you are not who the world told you you are. You are who God says you are. Well, what does God say I am? My friend, you are a child of God. You are a faith-filled follower of Jesus Christ. You are the head, not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are blessed going in and you are blessed going out. I'm telling you, greater is he who lives in you than he that lives in the world. No weapon formed against you will prosper in the name of Jesus. The enemy may come at you in one direction, but he's got to flee from you in seven. You are an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You can do all things through Christ. Why? Because I'm not labeled by the world. I'm not labeled by a man. I'm not labeled by a woman. I am labeled by God. God Almighty, He is my God, He is my King, He is my Lord, and He is my Savior. And I'm His son or I'm His daughter. I'm a child of God. That is who you are. 
when culture shifts, you have got to remember this because culture has an agenda. And not only is it to change your identity, but culture's agenda is also to ask you to compromise your standards. There's a lot of us feeling the pressure of society right now asking us to compromise our standards as Christians. It's the dilemma we face. It's the dilemma that Daniel faced. In fact, look at Daniel 1, verse 8. He dealt with this. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. In other words, he didn't compromise his standards to eat food that was possibly sacrificed to idols that broke every heritage and foundation of godly principles for his life. And so look at this. I think this is amazing. Look at what he did. He asked Ashpenaz, the chief official, for permission to not compromise his standards. He said, I, I asked him, can I please not defile myself this way? And again, I think it's very important to understand that he, he asked for permission. In other words, he didn't say, hey, Ashpenaz, all you crazy, ungodly Babylonians, y'all all gonna die and go to hell without God. I ain't eating that food. I don't think so. Like, no. Did he do that? No, he didn't do that. No, he said, hey, I've got some standards. And I'm just asking you to respect my standards and I don't want to compromise those. There's a lot of you in this room and you love God. And you love God. But you're in a dilemma right now, sitting in this room, listening to us online. You're feeling the pressure of society to ask you to compromise your standards. Some of your coworkers at work might be asking you to kind of look the other way as they steal time away from their employer by taking maybe more breaks than they should. Or maybe somebody's asking you to fill out a time card for them and they hadn't even gotten to work yet, but they're asking you to check them in. Some of you are at that place of going, man, do I compromise my standard in this? I mean, like, I shouldn't be doing this. Some of you, your bosses or your employers have asked you to lie to the customer in order to save face for your business. And so as a Christian, you're in a dilemma. You're, you're facing the tension of, well do, well, well, do I compromise my standard of what God's called me to as a man and woman of God to, to tell the truth, even if it hurts? Some of you are, have friends and they're the opposite sex. And some of them are like, hey, I know you might be going through some financial strains right now. But it'd be easier if we just lived together. I mean, everybody's doing it. In fact, it'd be easier for me, easier for you, and we'll live together, and maybe we'll have separate bedrooms, but I mean, who knows? Maybe we can just be friends with benefits. You're in a position of compromising your standards away from God's word to what culture would try to desensitize you to. Aren't you glad you came to church today? So this message is not for you if you're an unchristian. If you're not a follower of Christ, just sit back, relax, enjoy, breathe in and breathe out. But if you're a Christian, if you're a man and woman of God, if you're a follower of Christ, you're putting your faith in him, God's called us to some higher standards. He's called us to live a holy life, not a perfect life. He's called us to a righteous life. And I just need you to understand something. God's standards are for you. They're not against you. God did not create his standards so that he could just make you so miserable. And he'd be like, ah, look how miserable they are. This is awesome. Oh my God. No. God created standards because he loves you. He's not trying to keep you away from pleasure. He's trying to keep you away from pain. I think somebody missed that. I want you to hear that one more time. God's standards are not trying to keep you away from pleasure, my friend. God's standards are trying to keep you from pain. It's important to understand a loving father sets up discipline and rule. Listen, I have a 12-year-old going on 13. I love him so much. You think I just let him do whatever he wants to do? I don't think so. Why? Because I love him. I want him to grow up and to make a difference with his life. I love him enough to set up some parameters because a train is never free as when the train is on its tracks. If a train isn't on its tracks, there's derailment, there's confusion, there's destruction. And that's what happens in our lives when we walk outside of the standards God has for us. So what do we do? Pastor Rad, I'm a man of God, I'm a woman of God, or at least I believe I am, and I'm trying to follow Christ. What do I do? How do I live in this culture of compromise? Well, 
When culture shifts, we must reaffirm our convictions. We must reaffirm our convictions. In other words, we need to learn how to stand firm in our faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 through 14 tells us, be on your guard, stand firm. In other words, reaffirm your convictions in the faith. How? By being courageous, by being strong and doing everything in love. In other words, reaffirming your convictions, it takes courage, it takes strength, and it takes love. And in week three, we're really going to dive into this point even more. I'm going to teach you how to stand firm in a culture of compromise in week three. But moving on, culture has an agenda. Not only does it want to change your identity, not only does it want you to compromise your standards, but look at what happens next. Let's look back at Daniel's life, chapter one, verse nine through 10. Now God has called, caused the official Ashpenaz to show favor and compassion to Daniel, which I think is absolutely amazing. And he gets favor. In other words, he liked him. But the official told Daniel, listen, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, talking about Nebuchadnezzar. I'm afraid of him because he's the one that's assigned your food and drink. So why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age that were trying to train and indoctrinate in this teaching and ungodly culture? Like, why should he see you looking worse than all the other guys? Like, if you don't eat this food that I'm giving you, that's what's going to happen in his mind. That's what he's thinking. And in fact, he said, the king would then have my head like I'm going to be killed. If I compromise what the king's asked me to do just because you don't want to compromise your standards, Daniel. And watch this. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And Daniel said, here it is, please test your servants for 10 days. I'm going to time out right here. Many of us, especially American Christians, we don't like tests especially test of our faith. We don't like it. So what's happening here? There's a confrontation happening. Daniel's facing confrontation. He's confronted with the opportunity to be tested. And look at what it says. It says, then, hey, Ashpenaz, if you'll let us not eat this food, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and then treat your servants simply in accordance with what you see or the fruit from our lives. So Ashpenaz agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. So what I want you to see today is that culture, the agenda of culture, its agenda is to change your identity. It's to compromise your standard. And here's number three, write this down in your notes. And then it's always going to ask, or it's always going to provide a place to create a confrontation. It's always going to create a confrontation and this is a confrontation that goes way beyond like, should we put the Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving or should we put the Christmas tree up after Thanksgiving? I mean, that's the debate, right? And in our house, no, like, it's on the day of Thanksgiving. That's my thing, right? But I haven't won that debate in like 14 years of marriage. I'm just saying, because I'm a smart man, y'all. I've been married 14 years for a reason. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so in our house, it's the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm not talking about a confrontation of gluten-free or non-gluten-free diet, dairy, all that stuff. No, 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 no. I'm talking an all-out assault of division on your life. Listen, the devil is trying to divide us. He's trying to position us in two different corners. In this corner, I've got Christians. In this corner, I've got non-Christians. Right? He's trying to divide. Because why? Why? Because he understands the words of Jesus. It's not in your notes. won't be on the screen. But out of Matthew 12, 25, Jesus said, Every kingdom divided against itself will not stand. Where there's civil war, where there's unrest in a family, there will be destruction. My friends, this is not a game. The devil is playing all for keeps. He is not your friend. He is in the business of bringing division into your life and my life. Whether it's mask or no mask, whether it's Republican or Democrat, you choose the hot topic. But the devil, you can rest assured, is trying to position us to divide us. And he's going to create confrontation. So what happens? What do we do? Well, when culture shifts, here's the key. As Christians... As men and women in God who follow Christ Jesus and put our faith in him, when culture shifts, we must respond the right way. We must respond the right way. And this is where I've really been looking forward to get to all day. 
there's two camps of right way that I've seen in my life, and neither are right. You've got the dogmatic stance of where, hey, God said it. You better line up or you're going to be left. You're going to go to hell if you don't get right. And you know, here's the truth. You might be right. You might be right. But here's the thing. If you're not helping someone, even if you're right, you're wrong. God did not call us to be right. God called us to be effective and God called us to be helpful Christians. It's not about being right. But then there's this whole other camp. Well, God loves everybody. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this. If you're listening online. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, it's okay. Just come as you are. And once you come, just stay as you are. God doesn't want you to change. He just wants you to just stay like you are. And in the name of love, we've got a generation of Christians who are setting aside biblical principles. And they're saying, and they honestly think that they love people more than God loves people. Can I just tell you, my friend, you do not love people more than God loves people. Because last I checked, there has not been a human that has laid down their life to pay for the sins of every person on this planet. There's not been a person who has been resurrected after three days who defeated death, hell, and the grave. There is no other name but the name of Jesus that you can be saved and experience eternal life. You do not love people more than God loves people, my friend. We cannot set aside God's truth in the name of love. Come as you are, stay as you are. No, 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 that way is not right either. It's not right. So here's the question. Well, how do we stand firm? How do we love well? How do we... How do we live a godly life in an ungodly culture? How do we not compromise our values when there's a culture of compromise all around us? It's a great question. We look to Jesus. We look to the one who is completely holy, yet completely perfect. He was God with skin on. What's amazing to me about Jesus Christ is that he never compromised who he was. He never compromised what he believed. He lived a life in such a way of truth and grace that prostitutes, sinners, tax collectors who were the worst of the worst back then, dirty, rotten people that the world would reject, the rejected people of society loved hanging out with Jesus. They wanted to be around him. Why? Because they felt love. Here's the question. How did Jesus respond in his culture of ungodliness to see people want to connect with him that way. I love this John chapter one, verse 14. This is the word referring to Jesus. He became flesh. God was skin on and he made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of everybody say this out loud, grace and truth. How did he respond with both grace and truth. So here's the question. What is truth? Truth is God's standard. Truth is God's standard. So then that would beg the question, well, Red, what is God's standard? Well, John 17, 17 tells us that his word is truth. So sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. My friends, I want you to know, I love you. I love people. I love the Treasure Valley. I love everybody in this valley. I love like the people in this incredible state that we get to call home of Idaho. I love the Pacific Northwest. Heck, I love America. I love the world. Like I love people. This church loves people, but make no mistake. We also love God's word. And we believe that God's word is holy. God's word is perfect. And God's word is true. And we're not changing God's word. Culture may change. But God's word will never change. God's word is the same today as it was yesterday and it will be forevermore. My friends, God's word brings life and I'm not changing it. I'm not, I'm not gonna make the word of God line up to culture. I'm gonna make culture line up to the word of God. Can I get a better amen, somebody? Are you hearing me this morning? Not only do we need truth, we can't just be truth. We also need grace. So what's grace? 
Grace is God's favor, everyone. Grace is God's favor. So what is favor? Favor is basically he favors you when you are not favorable. When you were spitting in his face, Christ died for you. It's not on the screen, but Romans 5, 8. says, God demonstrate his love for you and for me, my friends, this way. While we were still sinners, he paid for our sin. While we were still messed up, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. It's the beauty of salvation. It's a free gift. And I just want to remind you this. I try to do this every Sunday. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. What is grace? This is grace. God saved you by his grace or his gift. He favored you when you simply believed. When you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. That's what grace is. It's a gift. It goes on to say that salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Because then we would sit around and go, look what I did. (laughs) I went to church like twice out of a month. Woo, I'm good. I'm going to heaven now. Nope. That's not how it works, y'all. It's a gift. It's grace. Salvation cannot be earned. It is a free gift. It's grace. It's a gift. His name is Jesus. We just simply receive it. So how do we stand firm? How do we love well? That's the question we're asking in a culture of compromise. It's grace and truth. Everybody say grace and truth. So here's the fact. The fact is, without truth, my friends, we're corrupt. We're unholy. We're carnal. We're led by our feelings. We're led by our emotions. We end up doing things that we regret. God's word gives us the power to transform our life. When we give him that permission, he transforms us. But without truth, we're corrupt. But on the other hand, at the same time, without grace, well, we're condemned. We're condemned. Romans 6.23, not in your notes, not on the screen, but... It tells us that the wages of sin is death, death being condemnation, eternal separation from the love of God. That's what death is. But God gave us grace so we wouldn't have to experience that. He gave us the gift of eternal life. And again, my friend, it is Jesus Christ. And you can walk out of this service today knowing that your salvation is secure, that your hope will be in heaven, and that you'll experience eternal life. Enjoy beyond this life and joy in this life. And my friend, if you have not made that decision, you will have the opportunity today, I promise. And I hope you will take that step. Moving on, truth. Without truth, we become worldly, everyone. And can I just say this? We all need God's truth. I need God's truth. You need God's truth. All God's people need God's truth. Why? Because all of us have got some issues in here. And only God's word can heal our issues. Only God's word can heal my marriage. Only God's word can heal my home. Only God's word can heal my mouth. Only God's word can heal my attitude. Only God's word can heal my mind and the thoughts that go from here to here and I'm bombarded with every day. Only God's word can heal the relationships that are broken that need restoration in your life. Only God's word can do this. So we all need God's truth, but check it out. Without grace, well, then we become judgmental. What does that look like? It looks like this. It's like, you know what? I'm messed up, but my God, thank God I'm not as bad as they are. Woo! You only knew the things that God did. Woo! It's judgmental. No, 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 no. God's not called us to be judgmental. Here's the bottom line. What am I saying? I'm saying that truth without grace is mean. I'm saying grace without truth, well, that's meaningless. But truth and grace together, ah, it's medicine medicine. And I want to encourage you to live this way. In fact, we planted this church, can I just say this, not because this valley needed another church. You know why we planted One Life Church two years ago? It's because this valley needs more churches preaching God's truth and God's grace together to provide medicine. And make no mistake, there are a lot of great churches who are doing this in this valley, and we are friends with them, and we do life with them, and amazing If you're looking for a church home and this isn't your flow, I'll be glad to give you the pastor's names in this valley. I love them. They're my friends. They're family. We're in this together. But this is why we exist as a church. This is what I want to encourage you to live out in a culture of compromise. Why? Why is this important? Because, my friends, grace, it invites us to be free. Grace says, I know what you did, but you're still welcome here. 
You're still welcome here. But truth, well, truth says, but that's not who you are. Truth sets us free. That's what truth does. It sets us free. So as I close, I'm going to close with this beautiful story. I love this story. It's probably my favorite story that preaches this truth of, about truth and grace. It comes out of John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. Look at this. Some of you who probably have never even opened the word of God or never even heard this story, you've heard some phrases from this in our society. Check this out. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. In other words, he was hanging out in the gathering place where everybody was. So a crowd soon gathered around him, and as he sat down, he taught them. Check this out. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And that begs the question to me. is like, why are the teachers, the Pharisees, the holy people, the Christians in that day, supposedly, you know what I'm saying, like the godly people, why were they hanging out in a place where they could actually catch a woman in the act? You know, it's amazing to me how aware we can be of everybody else's sin, but not be aware of our own. So it says they put this woman in front of the crowd. As a teacher, I said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. You know what the Bible says. Come on, you know the law, Jesus. You know what it says. It says to stone her, to kill her. What do you say? What are you going to say, Jesus? This in lies the tension. This in lies the dilemma of living godly in an ungodly culture. This is what we're faced with, everybody. So what are you going to say? Hey, One Life Church, what are you going to say? Sir, madam, what are you going to say when the hot topics are listed in our culture? What are you going to say about abortion? What are you going to say about LGBTQ? What are you going to say about the dilemma of Republican or Democrat? What are you going to say about the Supreme Court's decision? What are you going to say about mask or no mask? What are you going to say about the hot topics? That's the dilemma that you're in. That's the dilemma that I'm in. So what do we say? Well, what did Jesus, what did he do? How did he live in this culture of compromise? How did he respond to that type of question? Because my friends, that is exactly what is happening in this story to the son of God. Well, let's look. Since they were trying to trap him and they kept saying to him over and over again, say something, do something. They were giving him an either or they said, Jesus, are you going to operate in truth? Are you going to kill her? Are you going to operate in grace? Are you going to let her off the hook? By doing so, you're going to break God's law. And my friends, the message today that I want you to hear is it doesn't have to be an either or. It can be a both. It can absolutely be a both. So they kept on demanding, but I love this. This is Jesus stooped down. I love this. It's this so cool. Jesus began just to doodle in the dirt, y'all. He's just doodling in the dirt. Scripture doesn't tell us what he's doodling. Scripture doesn't tell us what he's really the reason why he's even doing it. A lot of scholars have different thoughts. And I honestly believe he's just kind of hanging out in the dirt, doodling in the dirt. Because he's just trying to give those who are around him to think about their own lives and how their lives aren't so perfect as they think they are. Because, you know, honestly, Jesus knew everything the people were thinking around him. He could have said, hey, Pharisee, yeah, you over there, I know what you did last night. Yeah, but he didn't do that, did he? No. Watch this. So they kept demanding an answer as he's doodling in the dirt. And so Jesus stood up again and he said, okay, all right, here we go. Let the one who has never sinned cast the first stone. Watch this. Next verse. Then he stepped down again and he starts doodling in the dirt. 
He wrote in the dust. And it's interesting, while he was doing that, look at what it says. It says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Now, some scholars believe that the reason the oldest began to leave first is because that they were the ones who probably, since they lived the longest, had the most sin to deal with. But the Bible doesn't teach that. We don't know. But can I just tell you my theory? This is my theory. You can have your own theory. I'm not saying it's right, but this is my theory. My theory is, as the men were standing around, Jesus just began to write the names of their mistresses. Sally. Martha. And you could just see it one by one. Um, Bible doesn't teach that. We don't know. It's my theory. It goes on to say, everyone left until, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd and he was alone with a woman. Love this. I want you to understand something. When Jesus confronts your sin, he does it in the most respectful way possible. He does not humiliate you. And Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Where are the people here that were yelling to stone you? Where are they? He goes on to say, Jesus said, didn't even one of them condemn you? And look at her response. He said, no, Lord. She said, and then Jesus looked at her and he did an amazing thing which I'm trying to teach you today. I don't want you to miss this. He said, neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. In fact, that what he's doing is he's, this is grace. He said, I don't condemn you. And then he follows it up with truth. And he says, go and sin no more. He called sin, sin, everybody. It's truth in grace. And that's what he's saying to you and me today. That's what he's calling our church to. In a culture of compromise, write this down and then we'll close. It's a culture of compromise, my friends. As One Life Church, I want us to hold high God's truth. We're not changing God's word. God's word will never change. It's truth, it's holy, it's perfect, it's righteous. It won't change. We're gonna hold it high as a church and as Christians. But at the same time, we've gotta do what Jesus did. And we've got to freely give God's grace. And the church said a good amen. amen. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? We'll be here just another few minutes. God, I pray in this moment that you would truly give us the wisdom and the revelation to know how to navigate in this culture of compromise. As men and women who profess our faith in you, as followers of Christ, we recognize we're not perfect, but we're made perfect because of what you've done for us. And in that, God, we are human, and we're asking for the help of your Holy Spirit to hide your word in our hearts that when we're presented with an opportunity, God, faced with whatever topic there is in society right now, to try to create a divide, that your Spirit would enable us and quicken our hearts in the words of our mouth, our attitudes, the things we post, the things we talk about, they would reflect you. They would reflect your truth. But yet they would reflect your grace. They would be both. So only God, only you can give us that help. And we lean to you today for that help. Now some of you are here with every head bowed and every eye closed. You're in this room today and you're not a Christian. In fact, you walked in this room and you're like, I don't know what it is. Something's just tugging at my heart. I, my friend, can I just tell you what you're feeling and that impression in your heart right now? That's the love of God is Jesus. He's knocking on the door of your heart and he's telling you he loves you. He's for you. He has a plan for your life. He created you on purpose for a purpose. You are a masterpiece. He's got a hope and a future for you. 
that you've been trying to do this life alone for so long. You're dealing with hurt. You're dealing with pain. You're dealing with shame. You're dealing with guilt. And today is your day to experience the love of God, a love of a father who would set up some standards for you to breathe life into you, to take pain away and to bring you to a place of fulfillment. Some of you in this room, like you would even say that you're a Christian, but for some reason you walked away and you'd be like, you know, I just feel so distant. Honestly, my relationship with God is it's grown cold. It's not what it used to be. In fact, I found myself compromising my standards. I found myself dealing with confrontation and I found myself really my identity being changed by the culture and the people that I'm doing life with. And I'm hurting and I'm broken and I want to come home. I want to come back to the love of the Father. So whoever you are, wherever you are, I just want to encourage you. Today is the day. Now is the time. You're not promised tomorrow, my friend. But today is the day that you could experience salvation. Today is the day that you could experience hope, healing, and fulfillment. If that's you and you would, would like to receive salvation, I'm not going to call you down front. I am not going to embarrass you in any way. But I would simply know, like to know who you are by a simple showing of a hand being raised so I know how to pray for you. God bless you. If that's you, just be so bold to put your hand up this morning, my friends. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Way to go, man. It's the greatest decision of your entire life. You can put your hands down. Maybe you raised your hand, maybe you didn't, but you don't want to miss out on this prayer. Can I just tell you, that's all it is. It's about a heart that connects with God with a simple prayer, and here it is. Just say this. Everybody just pray this with me. Just say, Jesus, I receive what you've done for me. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. I believe you paid for my sin. I'm asking you to forgive me, to change me, to come live inside of me. I declare you as my Lord. I declare you as my Savior. I put my faith and trust in you today. I give you my life. I give you everything. Now pray this. Now say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you in my life to help me make a difference. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Hey, listen to me. One Life Church, maybe you raised your hand, maybe you didn't. But I want you to know that is the single greatest decision of your entire life. Your eternity has been sealed. You have a home in heaven. God loves you, and God's got a plan for you. And here's the thing. We're all on this journey together, okay? Uh, the way I like to look at it is the church is a hospital. And some of us have just checked into this hospital a little bit sooner than others. And we're all on this journey together, so we all have steps to take. And so what I want to encourage you to do is just take a next step. And the way that I can help you do that is if you'll fill out either the online connection card or the physical one that you received when you came in today in your worship guide. And if you'll mark the card that, you know what, I've decided to follow Jesus or I'm recommitting my life to Christ. Whatever information you're comfortable giving us, this is what we're going to do. I personally want to send you one email that says congratulations, but I also want to give you some simple next steps. Hey, One Life Church. And we had some people make decisions for Jesus today. Can we put our hands together and celebrate? Amen. Amen.